0: a phenomenal four weeks in france it is the tour de four for the usa champions of the world once again it's been a tournament that could be a game changer for the women's game but for now it's the same old name on the world cup trophy Hello and welcome to the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. Yes, the USA retain the World Cup after a 2-0 victory over the Netherlands in Lyon on Sunday. A fourth title for America after a summer where records were smashed both by those on the pitch and those watching at home. Here to look back on it all, we're joined by former England star Claire Rafferty. Down the line from France from The Sunday Times, we also have Rebecca Myers, plus women's football reporter for The Times, it's Molly Hudson. Later on We'll be picking out our own highlights and lowlights from the tournament. But we start with a record fourth World Cup victory for the USA. Second half goals from Megan Rapino and Rose Lavelle saw off a brave resistance from the Netherlands as America ran out 2-0 winners. The deadlock was broken on the hour when the US were awarded a penalty after a high boot from Stephanie van der Grasse on Alex Morgan. Claire, any complaints about that decision? For me, not at all. Live, I thought it was a, a penalty. And then even on the
1: replays, I know what I think there was a bit of a reaction on Twitter that suggested mm. otherwise. But I think De Graaf, it was clumsy. She, she, Her leg was high in the air and she ended up catching her. And, you know, we, we've seen them give them time and time again in this tournament. And, yeah, penalty, it, it was a bit frustrating because neither team was really getting a grip of the game, were they? Uh, and that almost gave the edge to USA. And from then, Holland couldn't really recover.
0: Mm. Morgan has been accused of going down easily in this tournament, Rebecca.
2: I have to say, I very much, um, you know, I have said and I I would stand by. The US team are still pretty much the only women's players that we see, like, really diving. And Rapino as well. I mean, Morgan, I think, is probably the worst culprit for it. Um, and I remember certainly in some earlier games, um, you know, the kind of USA-Spain one particularly brings to mind. There were moments when you just saw, <laughs> like replays that you just looked at and thought, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rapino, I love Rapino, and I think she's quite guilty of it as well. She certainly um, stays down quite easily, should we say. There's a lot of sort of diva kind of, oh, God, I'm on the floor and everything hurts so well when she mm-hmm. goes down. It's, it's, and it's something you don't really see a lot in women's football. So I think that's maybe why it stands out quite so much.
0: The USA have struck early in every match at this tournament, but the Dutch kept them at bay. It was goalless at half-time. Molly, what was their game plan and how was it working? I think what
2: they did very well was they they sort of sat back without sitting back too much. I think you you can fall into that trap really easily where you just sit back and defend and you've got nowhere to go forward. And I think... What well, they did so well was that they had sign, they had Liedemar, they had that outlook to go forward. So at times they were able to counter-attack and they, you know, they did have the solid two banks of four. But at the same time, they did offer, offer a threat going forward as well, which meant that the US couldn't sit back and they couldn't really go out and attack. So I think it really could have gone either way.
0: Well, Rapino was that stepped up for that penalty, becoming the oldest goalscorer in a Women's World Cup final. It was fitting for her to have her say on the final day. Claire, for you, is she the star of the tournament?
1: Yeah, what a woman. Uh, mm-hmm. She really has embraced the platform and the stage she's been given and it almost did become a bit of a stage, didn't it? Because um, it was a bit of pantomime. Obviously, she had the the debate uh, with Donald Trump, mm-hmm. um, who, who then told her to you know, stop talking until she actually wins and then to be able to step up and score a penalty under not just the, the pressure of your, your whole nation, but the whole world now is watching you because of that because it's been very visible and... To be able to do that and have such mental strength, I mean, hats off to her. She really stands up for equal rights, LGBT. She's very outspoken. And, yeah, player of the tournament for me, what a way to end. What does she get? Golden boot, Mm -hmm. golden everything going.
0: Golden ball, golden boot, she did win everything. Fantastic player. Rebecca, how do you sum up her impact on the women's game? I mean, I think her impact has been
2: actually immeasurable this World Cup because she's become that sort of cult figure, that icon of, of the game that... I think women's football doesn't always have. Um, I mean, people who literally probably wouldn't have engaged in the World Cup at all have been, you know, captured, you know, their imaginations, like, you know, sort of, Capture their hearts in a way I had so, I saw so many sort of women on Twitter who maybe don't necessarily watch the games themselves coming on board with her views and her dance and her activism and I think she's become that sort of global icon figure that just drives the the image and the um, the popularity of the women's game through the roof um, she, was, she was on the front page of the Times today and I just think it's this glorious photograph I'm tempted to sort of frame it to be honest I just think you, it's hard to find a footballer in any tournament, male or female, who becomes enough of a personality to go on the front page of the papers that aren't from the country they're born in, if that makes sense. You know, she's not British. So she's on every single front page this morning. Um, I just think she... We, we probably won't be able to register quite how much of an impact she's had until um, until we all kind of you know go home have to
0: stay and think about this tournament. Yeah that is an iconic image of Rapino that you you are referring to there. It may be her last world cup. The second goal came from Rose Lavelle and she certainly looks like someone with a bright future Claire.
1: Yeah what, what an elegant player as well her balance her ability to to drop a shoulder and beat someone that goal was fantastic. Yeah. Such a, such a young player, and to be that that bold and fearless, to, to pick the ball up the way she did and drive forward and then have the the calm, cool head to slot it away against a goalkeeper who was absolutely fantastic. I mean, you could see it if, there was a few examples of, of her inexperience where she'd lose the ball in, in areas that she probably shouldn't do, but what a team she has around her to learn from. Um, and, and this is the next generation of, of American players coming through. We have the likes of Rapino you know, Morgan leading... But then we have these, these youngsters coming through who arguably, we, we'd love to be in that same position in England. Yes, we do have the, the potential, don't we, with the likes of Georgia Stanway. But we need these our big players now to step up, just like the Americans are. Uh,
0: Molly, a word for Jill Ellis, the first manager to win the Women's World Cup twice. She's such a, a cool, calming
2: influence where you know a lot of our players have, have taken the headlines and have discussed such a lot of things and made, made political statements and equality and... Jill sort of does all that but she does it in a way that that doesn't take the headline. She just she says it in a calm way and she she sort of she she's she's changing the game for women just by doing what she does and I think, you know, her being not only the first, first coach, but the first women's coach to to win two in a row is just an incredible achievement and I think it it's made all the more incredible because, you know, she had to move away from England just just to play football, let alone coach it. And I think, you know, she must be so proud that she made that big, big decision growing up because that, you know, that's made her into the coach and the the amazing coach that she is now.
0: The US remain the benchmark in women's football, but they were tested in this tournament. Claire, do you think that the gap is perhaps shortening between the US and the rest of the world? Yeah, and Gio Ellis said that this is the toughest
1: World Cup so far. Um, and that's because, you know, all these teams are, are evolving and growing the level of professionalism in, in European teams in particular, like likes sort of uh, Italy and England, France, you know, the contact hours, we say it time and time again, is USA have always, have almost been pro because of their college programmes, their exposure to football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, is, is ten times more than, than some of our youngsters. But that's changing now. And also, let's not bypass the fact that USA had to beat Sweden Spain, France and England to get to this final. So they really did deserve it in the end. They beat some world, world world-class teams and it's them pushing the barriers and the boundaries as well, constantly evolving. I know I use that word quite a lot, but you have to be like the new version of you all the time
0: because the rest are
1: chomping out the heels
0: mm. I mean it's interesting you mentioned that because I think Rose Lavelle just four years ago was working in a pizza shop so you know there are stories background stories to all of these players they haven't necessarily all come through the system in the way that we might expect them to they still have had to, to work hard to get to, to the level that they're at right now and uh, there were a chance of equal pay echoing around the stadium after the final whistle Rebecca explain to us what that's all about for anyone that isn't quite aware of what's going on
2: yeah, so um, the US have actually got an ongoing lawsuit against their own federation, um, the Orleans team. Uh, basically, I mean, the men are paid substantially more than the women. They're significantly less successful. I mean, um, you know, in, in very kind of stark, quantitative ways, they are less successful. The women have uh, massive, well, four World Cups and four Olympic goals now. Um, and even down to the coaching staff, Jill Ellis found out that um, she was paid less than I think it was the men 's under twenty one coach, so um, they 've got like a lot of kind of um, numerical points to kind of bring up and then, and then they basically um, have taken their federation to court, so as I understand it they will be that case will be heard in court when they get back so that 's quite something to return to you've won the world Cup um, and you have to come back and see your own federation um, but they 're basically seen them as a purposeful gender discrimination um, and i mean there 's been a lot of this tournament obviously. We can go on and about, you know, well, they were the favourites and they won, etc. But I think we can't necessarily quantify what this means for that lawsuit and what this means for um, their, their chance at getting, you know, proper compensation and proper pay going forward. And if they achieve that, that will have a trickle-down effect across the world, in my opinion. I think if you set a precedent like that, even if it's in the different legal systems, if you set a precedent like that across the pond, it gives other... You know other football teams other federations and a lot more to think about in terms of how much they're paying their women mm. um that is ongoing I, i'd also like just to add to um claire's point there was a very good piece this morning that said um see estimate basically 13.4 million girls and women around the world play football 9.5 million of that 13 million are in the usa alone so i think we can't underestimate just the size of that pool Um, And what it, you know, obviously, if you've got a pool that big to choose from, your team is just going to be head and shoulders above the rest. Um, So, yeah, just a great point from Claire. Just wanted to add that into that, a bit of food for thought, really.
0: Yeah, goodness me, that is a staggering amount. Um, One last word, and we should speak about the Netherlands. There weren't many before the tournament predicting a World Cup final appearance for the Dutch, were they? Are they a new European superpower, would you say, Molly? Definitely,
2: I think what they've actually done is probably overtaken some of your traditional European superpowers. I mean, we look close to home you look at England and you think, you know, what, what Holland have done in those, those two years since the Euros, they've developed in not only did they win the Euros, but they weren't complacent and they really built on that. And, you know, they got to a World Cup final. they're a massive achievement. And once again, you know, losing to the defending champions is, is nothing to, you know, be sniffed at. And I think you know, Germany is perhaps at a rebuilding stage and haven't quite been the piece of they once was. And, you know, you have your Sweden, your Norway, so those countries that have always been there or thereabouts. But I think Holland are probably overtaking all of those. And I think they, you know, they'll they'll be massively excited going going forward. It's a first ever Olympic qualification, which is another huge milestone. And I think they'll just be really excited. They've got such a such a big range of talent there. I think Serena was saying last night that uh, the the average age of the squad is still under 26 or something like that, which is which is scary, really. That you know they've achieved all of this. You look at Vivian Medema, she's just 22 and she's you know already all-time uh, record goal scorer, So I think the, the potential is there for them to go on and and be even better than they've already shown.
0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot. Is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks,
3: Daisy. There's more to iPhones. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,
0: It's time now to look back at a memorable month in France. 11.7 million TV viewers in the UK watch England's semi-final defeat to the USA, perhaps the peak of engagement in women's football in the modern era. But Phil Neville's side did suffer defeat to Sweden in the third place playoff on Saturday. The Lionesses finished fourth. Rebecca, is that a failure?
2: No, I don't think it is. Um, <laughs> I, I've thought about it a lot um, and I think Phil's been using the word failure all the time. He's been using it constantly. Um, pretty much every press conference we've done since the semi-final loss, he's been saying it's a failure. I respect um, that he feels it's important to use that word, but I actually think it's the wrong word and I think it hit home for me last night when we won, um, when Lucy Bronze won the, get this in the right way round, the silver ball and Adam White won the bronze boots. I thought, how can you say that this is a failure when you've got two of your players have, have made it into the top six players in the world um I think I think there are questions to be asked about um you know what went wrong towards the end particularly I think the third place playoff game was not a game we we should be massively proud of something went wrong there whether it's mentality mindset um pure physicality it's hard to say um but I, I think to come away from this and say this is a failure when they've won that many hearts and minds, they've broken that many records and they've also won literal world-class awards, I think it's, it's probably wrong. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not an elite performance coach. Phil never knows the right way to talk to his players, but um, for me, it's, it's not a failure, no.
0: It's interesting what you mentioned there about uh, towards the end of the tournament, it, it didn't go to plan for, for England. Where did it all go wrong, Molly?
2: Sure, so I, I would... I have to uh, slightly disagree with Rebecca and just say I don't think it was fully right to start with. Um, I think if you, if you look across all the games, the same flaws were there. They were just exposed more against the US and Sweden because they were genuine world-class opposition. I think, you know, that there, there have been things that, that haven't gone right, not just in this World Cup, but since Phil Neville has taken over. And a lot of that stems from, you know, who plays and where they play and getting the very best out of his best players. And I'm not sure, you know, we saw maybe the right formation or the right tactics that did that. And I think that, you know, you you have to come back to that US game and as we've just mentioned, the participation and everything, it was stacked against England from the very start. And there is an argument there that regardless of what, what 11 players we put out there, it was never going to be good enough. The US are just too good. But I think ultimately you can't play 4-4-2 against the best midfield three in the world. And I think, you know, that you have to look at that and i'm sure phil neville and his coaching staff will be looking at that and trying to work out the best balance i know for this tournament we were without jordan knobs which is a massive massive miss and i still think that was probably you know underestimated just how big a miss that was going to be but i think you know parts of it haven't been good enough and i think parts of it have been very good lucy bronze as we say ellen white individually have been incredible but without those two you know where where would we have been i'm not so sure
0: this might be a difficult question for you, Claire. Um, bear in mind, you played in Canada four years ago, but how do you rank this current England team against your England team of 2015? No disrespect to
1: myself or any of the players who played in that, but these players are all better, even the ones that, that played last time, right? it was because the exposure to the different level of professionalism. All these players are full-time athletes now, so they should be better. The ones that came before and the ones that are coming through. So... I'd, I'd say this team is a lot better and, and the pressure is on because we expected more from them and it's a natural progression and I think Molly's spot on there when she's talking about the faults were there to see really early on and the friendlies, the defensive frailties, they were, they were quite obvious and England ended up getting exposed. I think they have to almost go back to the drawing board and tactically revalue and get the best out of the players. Exactly what when Molly hit the nail in the head. They need to be getting the best out of our world-class players because we do have
0: world-class players. As you say, go back to the drawing board, but he also, Phil Neville, uh, has been sort of controversial towards the end of this tournament. He put pressure, first of all, on himself and on the England team by saying they would win the World Cup. Then he obviously suggested it would be a failure if they didn't win the World Cup and that they didn't win the third place playoff. It might be a failure as well. And then he referred to that third place playoff as nonsense. I'm sure you didn't agree with any of that, Claire, especially the nonsense no. part with no, the third no, no. place playoff. I think, look, it was—it's clearly
1: an emotional reaction. Um, he's contradicted himself, yes, because he said how important, you know, finishing as as close to first as possible. But third place for me and everyone in that team is one of the proudest moments of my whole career. So for someone to devalue that, it did kind of hit a nerve a little bit. But I think Phil Neville's been great in the press. We've said it time and time again. Yes. He has been outspoken about their desire to win and and the fact that they think they can, and I think he's had to do that actually because we need to start talking about the potential that we have and turning it into into reality. And unfortunately, we, we did miss out. But the Americans do it; it's that winning mentality. They they talk a lot about winning, and England, you know, they do need to need to do that as well. It, I think, it's an important transition. So I wouldn't never fault him for for that. But obviously, the, the nonsense come in, I think. You know, he, he said that they went there to win gold, but so did we last time. So it's, it, I think it's just a bit of a flippant comment and uh, yeah. I'll forgive him.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'll forgive him and you'll happily show him your bronze medal oh, yeah. if he wants to see it next time after winning that third place playoff in 2015. Just a final word on Phil Neville. Rebecca, is he still the man to be leading England going forward?
2: Yeah, I do think so. I think he has been um, very impressive, like Claire said, in the media. I think, as Molly touched on, there are tactical things that obviously need looking at particularly that really odd change of formation for the, the US I think that was a tactical error but I think in terms of man management he has been superb I've been so impressed um, I think you know members of the public have been impressed I've actually I heard yesterday someone was telling me that the US team were really impressed a US journalist I was chatting to in the media centre was saying that the US players absolutely love him they think he's brilliant which is really interesting in itself because obviously their standards are so high but I think what they see in him is someone who is hungry to win and obviously they have that in spades, that's why they're champions this morning. But they obviously look at him and see some kind of similar character traits as all it were. So I think in that sense we should be we should be hanging on to him. Um but no, I think he I think he cares enough and I think he will take this Heart. I think he will go back and he will ask himself hard questions and he will look at this, as he said he will, as a failure, but also as a failure himself. So um I think he could do brilliantly at, at the Olympics if he sorts out these problems.
0: And Karen Carney, of course, announced her retirement prior to that game on Saturday. She ends her England career on 144 caps. Only Farah Williams has won more. Claire, if you can try and sum up Karen's significance to women's football in this country, Ugh, where do I start? <laughs> um, incredibly driven individual,
1: very mentally strong, fiercely competitive, but at the same time very, very humble, down to earth, a realist. I think the, the impact she has had is just immeasurable. She's seen the the game transition um, and transform in, into into full time um, sport, and I think it's, it's it's a shame. It was sad to to kind of see her go and. No, she was very emotional and then obviously not being able to succeed in that last game and get the bronze medal was, was quite hard for her to swallow. But, you know, it's an end of an era and I actually spoke to her yesterday and she it was a bit of an emotional rally call and it was only a conversation between us two. And she was just saying how, you know, this World Cup actually, the experienced players have, have been the one everyone's been leaning on. So it's time for these young ones to stand up and be counted for.
0: Molly, we've got to talk about the WSL and you've written in the Times this morning about it being in turmoil. It all sounds very worrying. What, what is the situation?
2: To be honest, I think it is worrying and I think um, from what I understand from speaking to various people um, in and around the WSL is that the FA have, have, have been running this league for a long time now and you know, they're, they're not sure what more they can do to push it forward forward. Um, not saying I agree with this, but if you if you look at the FA and what they do for men's football, they're you know they're focused on the men's team and the Premier League, runs the domestic competition. Uh, and what what is very difficult is that there are flaws in the league still, and the flaws that mean there are very little sponsorships. You know, Julie G- Flaherty, the West Ham captain, you know, tweeted that she didn't have a booth sponsor. Um, And, you you know, we're in such an infancy of this professional league that would prevent the Premier League from taking it on. And and from what I understand, you know, they're they're going through a transitional process as well. Uh, Richard Gudemore is left there, and I think it's unlikely that anything will move forward until his permanent successor is found. But, you know, it it feels, from what I'm hearing, that it will be in three to five years' time, which, you know, for me, when I found that out, I was just sort of really disappointed, because this, this is a World Cup that has broken millions of viewing figures. It's Tokyo 2020, you know, the chance to have Team GB again, and we know how amazing that was, you know, last time round. And then, once again, you've got a home Euros, which is the, potentially the biggest ever. And I think that really could push the women's game into the mainstream. And, you know, we could genuinely win both of those tournaments. And you're saying that, actually, in three to five years' time, we could be in the same same limbo where you have an organisation that doesn't want to run the league and nobody else is willing to take it on. And you know, for me, that's the that's the biggest thing from this World Cup. There has to be a legacy. These players that we've watched on the biggest stage, you know, the incredible, incredible, you know, things that they've done over this month. That has to be replicated and it has to be, you know, understood on a day-to-day basis. The, these players have, they have mortgages to pay. They have they have things to pay, and we have to respect them and their achievements. And it's about time that. You know, being a professional footballer is, you know, it's a proper career and it's, it's something that young girls can aspire to be and they don't have to choose between, you know, a good job or being a professional footballer. And unfortunately with the way the league is at the moment, that, that isn't always the case. And I think going forward that, that has to change. And I don't know where that comes from, if it comes from the FA or it comes from the Premier League or, you know, somebody completely new. It, it just has to change because we have to do better for these lionesses that have inspired millions.
0: Absolutely. And it is, having read your article, Molly, it is a very, in some ways, depressing read because, as you say, the FA have said that they can't, they're not able to take the game forward. But as you say, three to five years for the Premier League to perhaps take the WSL on will lose momentum from this World Cup player. That That's not what we want to be hearing when, as Molly said, we want a legacy
1: if that happens, then we're just going to be in the same situation next World Cup and and we're going to miss capitalising on, on the Olympics, which is fantastic last time around in London 2012. That was a real game changer. But if we can't utilise this, as you say, momentum, then it almost feels like what's the point?
0: Yeah, it's certainly not something we want to be hearing. But let's reflect on this World Cup once again and then perhaps be in a lighter mood. Let's ask all of you for your your favorites should we say let 's start with your favorite player, uh, Rebecca, who stood out for you?
2: I love Ellen White I do <laughs> I know it 's it's an obvious choice, but I just think I've, I just think we 've seen her completely blossom, and I think also obviously there's an element of complete heartbreaking in terms of having those two goals disallowed at such crucial points, but she 's just been pure class like she 's in class to work with to interview to. Um, to cover, to watch on the pitch. She's just... I think she's just been head and shoulders above the rest. Um, But also, I've absolutely loved Rose Lavelle. I remember... I saw... um, I saw her in the USA-Spain game. That was the first USA game I watched. And I just sat there and thought, who on earth is this girl? Mm. Like, she's just so... She's just so electric on the pitch. And she... I mean, there was someone wrote i think it was rachel brown finner said during the england game that she just basically had a field day with england you know with the england set up because she was like how can i tear this pitch just read but i just think she's been a joy to watch and she's a really like sparky player who i i would just love to get and see more
0: of molly who do you think uh, was that the best player that we've seen
2: well funnily enough i've literally just written this piece and uh and it is rose lavelle i think you know in a team full of superstars, in, in a team full of Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgans and Megan Rapinoe, you know they're ageing, they're, they're coming to the end of their incredible careers that have paved the way for these young stars and Lavelle is just that, she is the next young star, she's 24, she's you know, as we mentioned earlier, she watched she watched the last tournament in a pizza shop and here she is scoring the, the second goal in a World Cup final, an incredible goal and for me, the, the moment that made me think wow this player is amazing was four minutes into the England game she just just makes really bright like she wasn't there and that takes confidence it takes incredible ability and it takes talent to to translate all of that ability that she so clearly has and and translate it onto the the very biggest stage um, amongst all of those strong characters and the eyes of the world and I think she she is the one that going forward you'll think you know The 2019 World Cup, that that was where Roosevelt emerged on the global stage.
0: Roosevelt getting a a lot of appreciation. Claire, who's your favourite player? I can't say Roosevelt again, can I? Well, I mean, if you really want to. I mean, Ellen
1: White for me was outstanding,
0: but I've really
1: been impressed with Sophia Jakobsen. She's she's really grown over these last couple of years. She's very pacey. Her, Her speed is electric, but she's also been able to improve her end product finishes, crossing into the box, you know, running on the back shoulder, keeping her width. She's just become a, this really intelligent player who knows how to play to her strengths. And against England, I, I think she shone.
0: OK, now, we all wanted the Lionesses to do well, so I'm assuming that is all of our favourite team at this World Cup. So other than England, who would you say has been your standout nation uh, over this uh, last month? I'll start with Molly. Sure,
2: I think it's been really difficult because you... You looked at all the teams going into this, and it and it was quite an open field. And I think you know each team sort of sort of impressed in their very own way. I think as much as I've sort of sat back and I've, I've watched the US, and at times I've been really frustrated with the with the diving and the you know everything that comes with the US. I think actually you have to respect that. You have to sit there and go, they've just defended their title. They're an incredible side. They've had. Literally the eyes of the world on them. They've had more than just on the pitch matches to contend with. But they've just they've found just through. And I think, you know, I wrote in my report last night that everyone thought this this would be the end of an era, that the US would finally be overtaken by, by Europe, particularly Europe, whether it be France or England or, you know, even Spain, they really struggled in that game. But they found a way. They found a way to be better. And when that Megan Rapinoe penalty went in yesterday it was like the floodgates open and suddenly you were looking at this team that were head and shoulders and you know anything else above everyone. else and yes they probably came into this as slight favourites but they come out of it as as the team to beat as a team that have done so much for the women's game and you know whether you love them i hate them i think i personally have grown so much respect for them through this tournament
0: claire who's your favourite
1: team I really enjoyed watching Italy. They started the tournament with a bang, beating Australia against the odds. They were the dark horses. You know, they were brave. They were tactically astute. In the end, they did run out of legs against Holland. um, And they played into their arms a little bit, conceding a lot of set pieces. But... They're obviously in a massive moment for Italian football. The investment's increasing. They're attracting a lot more foreign players. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to watch them grow as a nation. And, and um, I hope that they can qualify for the Euros and we'll, we'll see them shine there.
0: And Rebecca, which nation gets your nod?
2: I think just to shake it up, since we have three different ones, I'd say the Netherlands. Um, I just think, I mean, honestly, partly mostly just because of their fans. I just think they've been such a joy to watch we don't see that kind of really serious proper mass fandom as much in the women's game yet um and the netherlands have just bought you know brought enthusiasm in absolute spades and and that you know i think because they were up against the u.s and because they were um you know because they were sort of the other side of the draw as it were and therefore their matches weren't as you know as watched as the um american side of the draw we've maybe not given them enough credit for quite how far they've risen, how fast. Um, it really is extraordinary. I mean, if, if England had risen like that and done what they've done, we'd never hear the end of it. So I think they're going to be ones to watch. Like Molly said, they're super young. They've got Vivian Medima who's just a superstar. So I think for me, um, yeah, they've just been, they've been absolutely great to see. And any team that can hold the USA <laughs> to nil-nil mm-hmm. and go out at half-time with that, you've, you've got to respect that.
0: There have been some cracking goals. Which one has been the best? Claire?
1: Obviously the World Cup final goal of, of Rose Lavelle was fantastic but for me I really enjoyed Lucy Bronze's strike against Norway mainly because it was just like deja vu sitting there watching it against Norway, exactly the same situation, exactly the same type of goal as last time and there's a lot of pressure on, on someone who's been called a world-class player to, to rise to the occasion and I think in Lucy scoring that goal in mm-hmm. in such a fantastic fashion really solidified her her platform on on this stage in the world-class level so yeah that for me was the outstanding goal
0: Rebecca what about your favorite goal um yeah I mean I did
2: I did put in Sunday's paper that Lucy's was mine so sure. <laughs> I, I'll also say that but I did love um I love Fran Kirby's I mean I know we lost the match and so it's overshadowed by that but I think Fran has had a tricky tournament and she hasn't sort of blossomed and come into her own and looked like a relaxed player um, and then she just did this brilliant goal that just looked like it looked like a Frank Kirby goal. It looked like a goal that she would have done, you know, a couple of years ago um, in the league and stuff. It, it was it was really a sort of signature goal from her, and, and that and that made me really happy to see.
0: And Molly, which goal stands out for you?
2: I think for pure technique, you know, I can't argue with Claire and Rebecca and see past that Lindsay Bond goal, but for me, for the moment, and what it could have meant, you know, it, it went on to mean nothing, but it was the yellow the White equaliser against the US, and it was, you know, we were utterly outplayed, and there pops up Ellen, scores, and you you know, for that split second, you thought, could we? Could you do it? <laughs> and for me, that's something that I'll always remember.
0: I'm just going to add another one in. It's a slightly controversial one because obviously we know what happened with Cameroon when they took on England in the knockout stage. But if you remember the group stage and their final game, Cameroon against New Zealand, Ajara and Shoot uh, secure Cameroon's place in the last 16 with a superb goal. She cut past two defenders and then sort of curled the ball uh, into the net. There was so much pressure on it as well, because it was an injury time winner. They, they had to win to pretty much secure their place in the last 16. So that one sort of stands out for me as well. But uh, there have been some uh, tremendous goals. We've been very fortunate with that. What do you think has made this World Cup, France 2019, unique, Rebecca?
2: Actually, one of the things I did want to touch on when you talk about kind of best goals is actually how good, you know, how some of the best saves essentially mm-hmm. have been. And one thing I think has really stood out from this tournament, which I think does set it apart from... From previous tournaments, is the level of um, kind of interest and hype and exposure around the goalkeepers? There's been loads and loads of kind of love for the goalkeepers, which is hard enough to get in any tournament, you know, men's tournaments as well. Um, but I think female goalkeepers have historically so, you know, been that kind of easy scapegoat um, been the easy sort of oh well, women can't save, or, you know, whatever the arguments are, and they've just thrived at this World Cup. I think. I mean, I love Benina Correa. I still think that was watching her save, even though it was against England, was one of my favourite moments of the World Cup. So I think for me, there's been things like that that have stood out um, and, and feed into this general thing of actually people just talking about it as football. I, I didn't think we'd see that necessarily. I didn't think we'd see that this soon. Um, and we have. We've seen people just talking about whether or not the VAR decision was right or just talking about how good a save it was or just talking about the Cameroonian behaviour. Um, rather than constantly contextualising it as women's. And that feels very, very new and very exciting.
0: Yeah, you're quite right about the goalkeepers. And obviously, Van Veen uh, and Dahl in that final was just tremendous, particularly in the uh, first half against the USA. Claire, what will you take away from this tournament? For me,
1: it's been the the media circus that that surrounded it, which is what we've been crying out for for years and years and years. The increased platform, the audiences, the the fact that you know, people are going to Battersea Park and watching the game, there's a whole vibe and buzz around it and that's all we've wanted. You know, We've been fighting for it for years and years and years and for people to be filling back pages with stories about women's football, for Megan Rapino to be on the front of the Times and newspaper, that's incredible and um, I, I just hope we can continue
0: like this. Mm. And Molly, what will you remember from France 2019?
2: I think there's two that will stick with me. I think the the first is, you know, myself and Rebecca were actually lucky enough to go to France USA and to actually be in that stadium and see how much it meant and feel how much it meant. It was just the most incredible thing to be a part of. And and to see that, you know, if this wasn't women's football, it was just football and every single person in that ground was desperate for their team to win. And, you know, you don't always get that as a bit of, you know, we're proud of you whether you've won or lost. No, the, the, you know, both of those sides were desperate to win. And I think um, that's so important for the game. Um, and I also think that the other moment for me was probably um, the fact that before that US England game, I was sat on the floor of a press conference room and there were just press everywhere. There was... There were cameras, there was written press, the BBC, Sky, everybody you could think of. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, wow, this, this many people care. And like Claire said, I think that, that's part of the legacy of this tournament, that yes, of course, you, you're not going to get that every game, and you're not going to get it in the Super League, but actually for that moment, it was like every single person cared and everyone was there and living it and breathing it. And that, that was another thing that was so incredible to be part of as a journalist.
0: Yeah, it's been another tournament that has brought positivity and us all together. I think that's fair to say. And without doubt, women's football has won over new fans. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Claire Rafferty, Rebecca Myers, and Molly Hudson. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back for the new Premier League season in August. We'll see you then.
2: The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
3: As you're listening to me, Daisy,
0: Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods.
3: Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed powered heroes use skincare level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com, code GLOW.